Man, that was so good. It's so good to be with y'all uh, this morning. My name is Derek, one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, it's an honor, it really is an honor to be here today opening up the Word of God as we ask the Holy Spirit to bring it alive and to use it to convict us and to encourage us and at the end of the day, the day to conform us more into the image of Jesus. Uh, today is a special day uh, in the house today. Today is very special. Anybody know why that is? Uh, football is today. Yes. Amen. We got Sunday football. That's great. But, but more than Sunday football, uh, today is our five-year birthday as a church. Come on. Give me a round of applause. Woo! Five years ago on September 11th, 2011, a group of people uh, gathered in the Spring Branch area for one service to proclaim the name of Jesus in word, in worship, and in prayer. And five years later, by God's grace, we are gathered together in two locations on our fifth year anniversary with five services. How amazing is that? So, so good. And, uh, and so I, I want to invite you next week, uh, Pastor Curtis will be in the house, and he's going to be starting a series where we are looking at the vision of Bayou City Fellowship. And so next week, he's going to say, man, why do we gather as a church? Why are we radically focused on Jesus? And so if, if you have plans to be out of town, just go ahead and change them. Uh, you need to be here next week. And, and more than that, if you have a friend or a family member, a, a neighbor who you've been trying to say, man, I really like to invite them, but I don't know, like, when should I invite them? Next week is the day. Uh, because wouldn't you want to invite a friend to hear what the purpose and heart is of our church when they come? And so you invite somebody every service. We want to be jam-packed because we want to be aligned. We want to know, man, we are about Jesus. The next week I'll be up here and I'll be teaching them why are we so focused on working in the city and in the world in the name of Jesus. And then Curtis will be back and he's going to say, hey, this is why we gather, not only to love Jesus, not only to love our city, but also to plant churches. And that's really the three part of our vision. And so the next three weeks you come and you receive um, what we have been called by God to be and do as a body of Bayou City Fellowship. Tonight, though, is another uh, great opportunity if you're relatively new to the church, if, if you're not a member, uh, tonight is core night. And what core night is, it's a chance for us to come together and eat an amazing dinner from Gringo's, which, amen, Texas, like fajitas are phenomenal. And we're going to go together in this place, in this room, a couple hundred of us, and we're going to hear Pastor Curtis share the history of the church, the purpose of the church, why God has called Bayou City to this lane. He hasn't called us to be a First Baptist. He hasn't called us to be a Second Baptist. He hasn't called us to be a Methodist church. He's called us to be Bayou City Fellowship. And you want to know why and what that means. And so tonight, if you're not a member, then you make plans to be here. Go online, register be here, hear the vision, and then you get to decide, do I want to make this my home? Do I want to commit my life and my gifts and my service here? Uh, that's going on tonight, and so I invite you to that. But, but today, we're going to continue uh, a series that we started that's called Together. Anybody else been blessed by the Together series? Uh, we got one guy in the house. We got a couple, a couple others? Okay. The, today, we're going to continue that, and, and the premise of this series has been, uh, from the beginning, why do we gather together? Like, why are we together in this building on this day? What are we doing here? Like, maybe you, you're having that same question. You're not sure yet. Well, hopefully you'll find that out a little bit. And during the path of this series, we've said, why do we give our money to the church? Like, I don't want to just be a robot and just do things that I was told to do. Like, why do we actually do that? Why do we take communion, the Lord's Supper? Uh, why do we gather and sing songs out looking across the room at each other? Like, why, why are we doing this? And, and we looked at that. And today we're going to say, 
when we gather together as a church in small groups and community groups and men's discipleship, women's discipleship, or on Sunday mornings, when we come together, why do we pray? Why do we pray? That's, that's the question today. And I think many of us can relate prayer to this personal conversation between you and God. And, and I think that's a really good thing because prayer, really that personal prayer is the priority in all believers' lives. Like I got to have this communication with God, just me and God. And, and we see that in Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's also our example of what it looks like to live a life filled up with the Holy Spirit focused on the Father when we have flesh on our bodies. And that's what Jesus is. And in Luke chapter 5, Jesus gives us some insight. Luke chapter 5, I promise it's going to be on the screen here. It says, but he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. You see that places, it's, it's plural. That means it wasn't just one time Jesus removed himself from the crowd. But what we see in the Gospels is that oftentimes Jesus would, would step away from the crowd. He would go up to a mountain, or he would find a garden that was completely secluded or desolate, and he would have one-on-one time with his Father. And so we want to be a church that has personal prayer lives, that each one of us have time where we connect with the Father, we hear from the Holy Spirit what the Father is doing, that we could connect to him. But in addition to that, Jesus didn't just say pray just on your own. He also has a lot to say about corporate prayer. And that's what we're talking about today. When we gather together corporately, why do we pray? And we see Jesus gave us another example in Luke chapter 9. He says, now uh, about eight days after these sayings, so Jesus was teaching, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And so this time, Jesus didn't just go by himself. This time he said, hey, hey, my my three amigos, why don't you guys come with me, and we're going to pray together to the Father. And so we see Jesus, he demonstrated personal prayer one-on-one, but he also talked about and lived out this coming together and praying. So today my hope is for us when we gather together that we don't just pray together out of, hey, this is just what we do. But we would be intentional and we would be purposed and know why we do the things that we do, specifically corporate prayer today. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Why do we pray? Number one, we pray together to be united. We pray together to be united. See, there are a few activities that we can engage in that would promote more unity and community than prayer. It's by its nature, it is a communal, it is a unifying act. And I don't think there's many other activities you could do with another person that would draw you closer together. And there was a pastor or revivalist named Charles Finney, and he said this. Listen, he said, nothing tends more to cement the hearts of Christians than prayer together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts and prayer. See, what he recognizes when two people come together and they pray, they pour out their heart to God. It's like a binding agent. It's like a glue that pulls them together in unity. That's one of the main reasons God gives us corporate prayer is to unify us together with each other, but also to unify us with the Father himself. Now, many of us know the, the Lord's Prayer, and we say it often at our church, but today I want us to look at it, and I want us to read it, but I want us to take a step back and think about how Jesus really taught the disciples to pray. They said, hey, Jesus, you know, John the Baptist is teaching his guys to pray. How should we pray? And so we find out in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, and I want us to read this together, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. So let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now think about this. This is Jesus' big chance to teach not only the disciples, but for generations, including you and me, how to pray. And Jesus didn't start it out by saying, my, he said, our Father. See, this whole prayer is in the context of community. He starts it out saying, our Father. That means you and me, our Father in heaven. And then he goes on, and he says, uh, the next stanza, it says, give us, not, not me, my daily bread. No, it says, give us our daily bread, our daily bread, and forgive us, you and me, uh, our debts, so that we, you and me, also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Have, have you ever considered that the way that Jesus came kind of gave us the framework to pray, not to just repeat this uh, like it's witchcraft or like it's a curse, but to, he gave us this not to just repeat repetitively, but to give us a framework of how to pray. And in that, he says, you should pray in community. It's our, it's us, it's we. And so we see that Jesus, his teaching is that prayer brings us together. It unites us. And we see, what does he say that we should gather around? What are we united in? He starts out and says, our Father. Listen, we are united to one another because we come to our Father together. See, when we pray together as believers, what are we doing? We are reminding ourselves that I am part of a family and you and I have the same Father in heaven that unites us. When you and I pray together, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves that we serve and follow the same king. And when you and I come together and we pray together, we're reminding ourselves that we have been saved by the same blood of the resurrected Jesus. And in that, we are united with God and we are united with one another. And in that being united, we come under the name of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the common denominator of our prayers, of all believers. When we come together and pray, we say it's our Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We come under that, and in that unity, we put down our preferences, we put down our likes, we put down our skin color, we put down our gender, and we say, no, we are coming under the name of Jesus. And this is how a Methodist can pray with a Baptist, which can pray for, with a Bayou City Fellowship, whatever we are, and can pray with a Assemblies of God. Like, we can all come together with different thoughts of the Scripture, different, different views of, of little things. But the essential part is we come under the name of Jesus, and that unites us. And it unites us. And, and what we find, at least I find, is that when I pray with somebody else, it's really hard for me to hate them. When I'm praying for somebody, I just can't be angry at you because you're my brother or sister in Christ. And, and I'm praying to God who loves me and he's called me to give that love. And so it's really hard for me to hate you or to be angry with you if I'm united with you in praying to the same father. Uh, that's, that's why when I do pre-marriage coaching and when I do marriage coaching, my number one advice is don't ever stop praying together. Or, or what happens oftentimes in marriage coaching is, is they have ever prayed together in a long time. And so I say the first thing I need you to do is you need to go home and pray with one another. I, I do that all the time. My wife, you know, gets angry at me, like once a year probably. Um, and she gets angry at me that one time a year. And what do I do? Like in that moment when I start cooling down and she starts cooling down, I say, hey, babe, we need to pray together. 
because we need to be united. I need to be reminded that, that you are the daughter of the king, and I'm the, da- the son, not the daughter, but the son of the king. And in that, I recognize that we may have different opinions, and I may have hurt her, and she may have hurt me, but in that moment of prayer, we're coming under the name of Jesus. And there's intimacy and there's unity when we pray together. And so I want to challenge you men, and I'm not picking on you, um, but I kind of am this morning. Um, Because I've met with a lot of you men who are married specifically, and uh, I've talked to you, and you are scared to death to pray with your wives. And I get that. But today, if your marriage is struggling... (laughs) Things aren't going so well. I want to challenge you to tonight. Just take a step of risk. And would you ask your wife to pray with you? Because whether we like it or not, man, we're called to lead our homes in many ways. And the number one way you lead your home is spiritually. And you're to be discipling your wife just as if your wife is discipling you. And so, ladies, uh, hear me on this, though. When your husband comes to you and says, hey, uh, I haven't prayed with us together much, but I want to pray tonight. This is what I, I want you to do. I want you to receive it. Uh, what I know when I meet with men is oftentimes they're scared because their wives have picked apart their prayers in the past. Why can't you pray like somebody else? Why can't you say this? Why aren't your prayers more powerful, more big? Listen, that's the worst thing, wives, you can do for your husband. Uh, a prayer looks like me being honest before God, <laughs> and that's it, and then I listen. And so, so wives, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're scared to pray with your husband because your husband picks you, so I'm not going either way, but what I know is I meet with a lot of guys that are scared to pray, and so men, I'm asking you, take a step today and pray over your wife and over your family tonight and see what happens in your marriage. It transformed my marriage. For years, I never prayed with my wife, and then I started to pray with my wife over my kids, over our finances, and what I saw was God does amazing things when we get on our knees and pray, and he unites us together, and he unites us with the Father. That's one of the reasons why we pray is to be united, and so if you ask me today, what is, you know, the number one thing that I see the church do, early church, I see them gather together and pray. Uh, We see this early on in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Verse 14, it says, all of these with one accord, this is the 120 that were to gather together, they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, now what I love about this is the 120, they didn't all look the same. They were different. And what I also love about this, remember, in the context of when this was written, women were looked at more like assets than people. But, but we see the scripture Throughout the scripture, women are lifted up to rightful place, that they are people made and created by God. And so if you're pro-woman, like we all should be, just like we should be pro-men, then we also see that the scriptures are also pro-women. And it says that these women and the men were gathered together and they were praying. And then just a little bit later, after Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's given, we see uh, another insight into the early church. It says that in they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the early church, they, they devoted themselves to coming together and to prayer. And then verse, chapter 12, verse 12 in Acts, it says this. This is Peter. We're going to talk about this story a little bit later. But he realized this. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Aren't you glad we don't have all these other names? Like we have one name. Like that's my name, Derek, which is good. But he said he went to, the, to John, whose other name was Mark, uh, where many were gathered together. Everybody say together. together. And were praying. You see, one of the basic marks of the early church was they gathered together and they prayed. 
And I don't know about you, but I want Bayou City Fellowship to be known as a church that gathers together and prays, not just a church that comes and listens to an amazing band. Thank God we have an amazing band. Amen? It doesn't, we don't want to be a church that just comes and listens to some Joe Schmo, like today, uh, preach the word of God. Like, we don't want to just be that. We want to be a church that comes together, that prays together, to be united with one another and with God. And so if you had to ask me today, you know, what's the number one thing I should do to really mature in my faith or to know God better, I would say to pray. Literally to speak out the truth to God and then have the wisdom and the maturity to listen to what he says back. And then if you came to me and said, Derek, how can I help Bayou City Fellowship? I really like it here and I want to serve. And how could the number one thing you would say, and I would say, man, serve, but before you serve, I would say the number one thing you can do for our church is you can pray for our church. So we have this private prayer and we have this corporate prayer. Without both, we become a weak and confused church that will eventually be divided. We'll be impotent and we will be divisive if we don't pray together. And so when we come together and pray, whether that's before church, during prayer ministry time, back here in the access room after the service, we pray together to ensure that we're unified with one another. And with God, that's one of the reasons why we pray. And so we should know that when we come to prayer. The second reason we pray together is to receive direction. Literally, when we come together, we are seeking direction from God, which is his will. That's why we gather together, is to say, God, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? And how does that look? That's one of the reasons why we pray as a church, both corporately, like the will of God, and individually in somebody's life. What is God doing? What direction are you going? That's why we pray together. And in Luke, that first part, or Acts chapter 1, in that part I just read, we got to remember that, that these 120, they had just seen Jesus ascend to heaven. And now they don't have the one they were following for three and a half years. And so they're gathered together, a little confused, a little like anticipation of, man, Jesus said he's going to give us the Holy Spirit, but we don't have any context to what that looks like. So what do we do? And it says, in the midst of the unknown, they seek for direction. And it says that we read earlier, 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. See, in the moment of uncertainty in the moment of I don't know what to do, they came together and they prayed and they asked for direction. We should do the same thing. A little bit later in Acts chapter 1, uh, the, the group of 120 is looking around and they're realizing, man, we used to have 12 disciples, and, but Judas, he sold Jesus off with 30 silver pieces and then he went and killed himself. So now we only have 11 disciples. It would be a good idea to replace that guy. And so they don't know what to do. They're seeking wisdom. They're seeking direction. And so we see what happened in verse 24. It says, and they prayed. Simple. Powerful. It says, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. You see, the, the early church, they gathered together to pray to be unified, but they also gathered together to pray to seek direction. When I moved from Ohio, moved my family from the glorious promised land of Ohio uh, to my mission field, Texas, um, about four years ago. Y'all didn't know that I'm on mission today for you guys. Uh, 
But when we moved from Ohio to Texas, I was an engineer. Uh, I had moved within my company, took a transfer down to Houston, Texas. Um, and uh, I was in that season. We had started to come to Bayou City Fellowship, but I was uh, not doing anything up on a stage. I was literally opening the door as a host person. I was checking kids in at the kids' check-in. And during this time, we felt like the Lord was stirring something in us, that there was going to be something change. And so at the time, we were plugged into um, a community group. And let me just take a pause here. Listen, if you want to be connected to Bayou City Fellowship, there is no other way than through community groups. Uh, you cannot be known and be known in this atmosphere. Like, this is great. I, I love that y'all showed up this morning. But if you want to take another step with your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with the church, listen, community groups is the way to do that. And they start this week. And so I want to encourage you. There's all over the city, different nights, you find one because it'll change your life. It changed my wife and I. So we're sitting there in community group. We're, we're going through this struggle of, man, we feel like God is turning something in us. What is it? And at the same time, my pastor from back in Ohio, he, he asked me to come back to Ohio to become the executive pastor at our old church. And, and I got really excited. Remember, I wasn't in ministry. I was in the workforce as an engineer, but I felt like God was doing something. So I got really excited. The salary looked good. The job requirements, I'd be preaching. Uh, it looked really good to me, and I was excited. But we came to our community group, and we said, hey, would you guys pray for direction for us? We're going to make a decision the next month. And my wife and I are going to pray, and my pastor in Ohio, he is, his wife are going to pray for the next month. Would, would you all join us for wisdom and direction? And so for a month, we prayed. And every time I prayed, I kept hearing the same thing. This isn't it, Derek. And I was really, really bummed out. Because I, in my, my perspective, this was my only opportunity to ever be in ministry, to ever do what I love to do, which is preach the word of God. And so we prayed, and my community group prayed together for us, and we got to the place we had to make a decision. And my pastor in Ohio and I both said, we don't feel like God is in this, and so we're going to not go that route. And we shut that door. And when I shut that door and I told him no, I really felt like in that moment that I would never preach another sermon. Because nobody down here in Houston, Texas, gave a flip about Derek Harden preaching. Nobody even knew I was a preacher that I knew of because I never preached at Bayou City Fellowship. I was going back to Ohio once in a while, but that was my only choice. And so I told no to that pastor and said no to that job. And then literally a week later, less than a week later, I get this text on my phone from some number, some Texas number, I think. And, uh, and it said, hey, bud, this is Curtis Jones. I was like, all right, that's cool. I've never really talked to Curtis, but I got a text from him, and it said, hey, would you consider preaching in December at our church? And I began to shake a little bit, and I called my wife from the other room. I said, hey, read this, because I couldn't even talk, because I literally thought that had been closed, but what I didn't realize is that when we were praying together for direction, we took a step of obedience. When that door shut, what God had planned was much, much better. And one sermon led to two sermons, which led to three sermons. And, you know, a year and a half, two years later, now I preach for my living. And I'm so grateful that I had a people around me that prayed for direction. And we see that throughout the scripture. Now, here's the good news. When we come to pray together, we don't have to know all the answers. So just speak, speak some freedom in the room. When I pray for somebody else, I don't have to know all the answers. But what we proclaim when we pray is that we know personally the one who does know all the answers. Amen. And so I just want to speak some freedom and some encouragement in the room. When you pray for somebody else, you don't have to know how God's going to answer that prayer. 
And here's the thing. When somebody comes to me and says, hey, will you pray for X, Y, and Z? This is what we oftentimes do. Yes, and we begin to immediately spit out everything that came to mind as soon as they asked me to pray. And who knows if it made any sense or not? And who knows if it was aligned with God? But what I think is more appropriate when I really don't know what to pray, what if I actually ask God, God, how do you want me to pray for this person? It requires uh, maybe a little awkward silence. And sometimes we need to embrace that. It requires me to trust that when I do pause and I say to this person, hey, uh, I don't know how to pray for you guys, but, but let's ask God. And so then we literally do ask God, God, how do you want me to pray? Then we do something outlandish. We actually shut our mouths and listen. And what I found in those moments where I'm with somebody praying that, that oftentimes God will give a, a verse to memory, come to memory, or, or he'll give us a picture of something and we just share that and we take a risk and share that. Uh, sometimes he'll give us a word for somebody, and sometimes the word for you in that moment of silence is just to keep your mouth shut because the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish something that you may jack up. And, and so when we come together, one of the primary things we should do is ask God, God, what are you doing? What's the direction you want to give me? How much more effective would our prayers be if we began asking for direction instead of giving God direction? See, I was convicted to my core this week as I'm studying the Word of God, and at the same time, I'm assessing my own prayer life, Derek's prayer life, and I realize that oftentimes I'm telling God how things are going to work out versus first saying, hey, God, what do you want for this situation? Because that's the kind of prayers that have power. When I partner with him, remember, I'm not asking God to to conform to me. I'm asking the Lord to conform me to what he wants. And so what if, church, we embraced this, what we see in the Old and New Testament, where people ask God, God, what are you doing? I want to pray aligned with your will. I want to take a step of faith. And what we have confidence in as believers is that he says, if you ask, you'll be given. And if you seek, you'll find. What if we took that as real truth and we started praying that way? Uh, that's a conviction that I want to start praying for me. And I pray for our church that we would pray that way too. When we come together, we are praying to receive direction. And then lastly today, when we come together, we pray together to co-labor. Co-labor. So when we come and we pray in prayer ministry or we pray in our community group, what we're doing is we're co-laboring with one another and with God to see his kingdom come to earth just as it is in heaven. Now, now let me just clue you in on something. God does not need you. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, God is perfectly good on his own. He can do whatever he does. But, but in the sovereignty of God, in his way he's created all of this world, this universe, and how he created prayer, is he says, listen, I, I want to invite my people to engage with me, to co-labor, to see my kingdom come on this earth. And, and there are things in this world where God will not do until we ask him for it. You can look at that in the scriptures. You have not because you ask not. So so sometimes when we come together, we are just co-laboring with God, saying, God, this is your will. We're just asking for what's your will. Will you let it be? We're we're partnering with God to see his kingdom come. And if you're in Acts, go ahead and flip over a few to Acts chapter 12. We're going to finish up here today, Acts chapter 12. 
uh, I think we see this beautiful picture of co-laboring when we come together uh, to see the kingdom come. So in chapter 12 of, of Acts, we've got the story. The background is uh, James has just been killed. Herod grabbed him, killed him, and he saw that the Jewish leaders liked that they killed James. And so he said, hey, when I killed one, they liked it, so why don't I go get another one and kill him? And so he has Peter arrested for his faith. And so he's got Peter in prison, and we're going to pick up in verse 5. And it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now remember this, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And if we fast forward, let me summarize the next few verses. It says that at that same night that the church prayed, Peter's in prison. It says that an angel came to him, kind of kicked him in the side to wake him up. And once he woke up, the angel walked Peter out of the jail, through the town, and out of the town, where he ended up at Mary's house. We pick up in verse 11. And when Peter came to himself, literally while he was walking, he's like realizing, like, is this legit? I'm walking with an angel. Uh, You would wake up as well. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. There's that other name again, man. Where many were gathered together and were praying. See, the the church was co-laboring with one another and with God to bring the release of Peter. Did you catch that? It says, Peter was in prison, but the church prayed. Now, and you can imagine if they had a newspaper at that time, what would the headlines be uh, the next day? Peter was in prison, was going to be killed the next day, but the church prayed. Mm. What would it look like in Cyprus, Texas? Addiction is on the rise, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. Sex trafficking is rampant in Houston, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. The economy is devastated, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. Or or let's make it a little personal. My marriage was headed for divorce, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. My son or my daughter, they were running far from God, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. The doctor told me just yesterday that I had cancer. But by you, City Fellowship, pray. God, this is why we come together and why we pray, to co-labor with God, to see his kingdom come, where impossibilities bow at the name of Jesus. We have a God of impossibilities. Nothing is off limits for him. Sometimes we just need to hear that today. We come to co-labor, to let the kingdom of heaven, the atmosphere of heaven, break into our world. It's what we do when we pray. We pray with expectation that this actually happens. Uh, I'll close with this uh, story. Uh, a good friend of mine, Josh Schmidt, and his wife, Lisa Schmidt, they go to our Spring Branch campus. Uh, Josh is a phenomenal man. He was a great athlete. It was so great that he actually played football at Notre Dame. Uh, I try not to hold that against him. Um, but he played football, played fullback, started, had a great career at Notre Dame. So an athletic guy. They're in their mid-30s. He and his wife had four kids. Great family. They were part of the core founding group, the 50 that started Bayou City Fellowship. Uh, they're, they're heroes in our church. Uh, a few weeks ago, I get a text, and it said, hey, I need you to pray for us. Um, Lisa was having migraines so bad that we had to go to the ER room. They ran a bunch of tests and looked at her 
body, and what they found was she has a tumor in her brain, at the base of her brain. And he said, we don't know what to do yet, but we want the church to pray. And I said, of course, and I began to pray. And the next Sunday, the, literally the next Sunday, they came to church, and I was preaching there, and I preached, and then we had our normal ministry time of prayer, and they walk forward, and, and they get down forward, and they just collapse at the front of the stage, and the prayer team circles them, some of their friends circle them, and they begin to pray over them. They begin to pray that they would be united with one another and with God. They began to pray for direction because at this time they didn't know how to step forward. They're asking God, God, what do we do? And they asked for the kingdom of God to break in, that he would bring healing to Lisa's brain. And so this is a beautiful picture. Guys, this is what church looks like. Like, what we're doing now is an aspect of church, but if you want to know what the rubber looks like when it meets the road of church, this is what it looks like. This is really preparation and stirring up a faith so that we can actually do the hands-on ministry that God's called us to. And so that next week, they go and they meet with several doctors at several hospitals looking, what do we do? How do we do it? Do we go for surgery? Do we go go for chemo? What do we do? And, and, And so they decided that on the right doctor and what they felt like God was leading them to the right hospital and that next week Sunday it happened so fast Sunday Curtis asked our elders to come and he began to pray for them and you see this this is in between the two services that are other campus and we fulfilled James chapter 5 where it says with your sick you call upon the elders and you anoint them with oil and they would pray that they would be healed and so we lived out this James chapter 5 exhortation and as you can see just all kinds of friends and family members Normal people, staff people, across the board, we prayed over them. Once again, this is what the church looks like. It's coming together and asking for God's kingdom to come. And then just that night, they knew that the next morning that they would be waking up super early. They had to be at MD Anderson, I think at like 6 or 6.30 in the morning. So they had to wake up really early. And so at 4 o'clock in the morning, Josh and Lisa, they open up their front door and they step out. And this is what they see. (laughs) 4 in the morning a group of Bayou City Fellowship women who loved them deeply and who were in their community group. They said, we want to be united with y'all, and we are for you, and we are praying for you. And they laid their hands on Lisa as she was preparing for surgery. Lisa's the one in the middle with the headband on. And they prayed for her. Listen, guys, this is church. This is what it looks like. When we come together and we pray, we pray to be united. We pray for God's will and direction, and then we pray that heaven would come. And so Lisa's story is, I was told that I had a brain tumor, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. And let me just tell you, by the grace of God, this specific situation is today. Josh and Lisa are standing in front of our Spring Branch campus giving testimony of what God has done in their life over the last two weeks because in that surgery that was more efficient than they thought, they were able to pull out every little bit of that tumor, caused zero brain damage whatsoever. Everything came back negative, no cancer, and it looks like she'll have a complete healing. Amen? Yes. Lisa's story is, I found out that I had a brain tumor. Bayou City Fellowship Pray. How many of us in this room, we need our story to look like that? I had you fill in the blank, but my church prayed. This is why we gather, and this is why we pray, to ask for God's will to come to this earth as in heaven, as 
it is on earth. And this requires a couple things of us to do this well. It requires us to have a lot of faith. It takes some risk for you to get out of your seat and you to come forward during prayer ministry. It also takes a lot of faith for a prayer person to step out and to pray for you and with you, asking for God's will. It takes a lot of faith for this to happen in the church. It also takes a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness. And lastly, and most importantly, it takes a whole lot of love. First, love of God and love of others. Because what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 is that we can say a lot of things, we can pray eloquently, but without love, it's all a waste of time. And so for this to work, for us to be united to one another and to God, for us to um, seek direction and for us to co-labor with him, we've got to take a risk. We've got to love and we've got to give grace. So that's what we're going to do today. When our prayer team comes up here in a moment and we're going to worship, I want us to think of these three things. First off, community. If you're struggling with unity, maybe with somebody in this room today, Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's your spouse that you're seated with a seat between you. I've almost been there before. I get that. If that's you today and you're struggling with unity, uh, I want you to just come forward and you get prayer and you confess that before God and you ask for his spirit to fill you up, to empower you, to bring reconciliation. Uh, Number two, if you are seeking wisdom, if you're like, man, I need to know what to do in this situation. I don't know the direction God is moving. Then you come forward and we will pray with our faith and your faith. And then today... If you're sitting there saying, I I need a moment where I can look back and say, but the church prayed. See, Satan has a plan, but the church prays. And so today, if you've got a relational issue, you've got a financial issue, a health issue, we believe that God cares a whole lot. And we want to be the church today to gather together to pray that his kingdom would come. And so church, let's stand up. If any of those three things resonate with you, stir in you, you don't hesitate. You come forward and receive prayer. You never know that your story may end, but the church prayed. But the church prayed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this body. Thank you for five years of grace upon grace upon grace. Lord, I ask for just um, really honesty in this room and, and transparency that we would step in faith and risk. That we would have stories of your goodness and your mercy that we would be known as a church that gathers together to pray for others. And that our stories end with, but the church prayed more often than not. So Holy Spirit, come and do what you can only do. Empower our prayers. Bring answers in Jesus' name.